Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hey friends, welcome to episode 208. Today, we are bringing you a workshop I recorded back in 2020 with my good friends, Darren and Margie Fink. This topic of bibliotherapy is something that comes up a lot when I'm working with families, and I keep thinking about this workshop and how helpful it was to me, and so we wanted to bring it to you here on the podcast. We hope you enjoy. I'm Darren Fink. I am the president and co-founder of a 501c3 called Transfiguring Adoption. And Margie, before I put up our slides, do you want to say hey to everyone? Hey, I'm Margie. (laughs) I'm the author co-founder, currently development director of Transfiguring Adoption. Fantastic. And let me go ahead. I'm most excited. And I I have, I have given you or giving you the title of imagination specialist because every time I talk to you guys, I just think you're brilliant at things. Ooh, she said brilliant. I love that. I am going to take that to the bank. I'm going to talk. I'm going to use imagination specialist on like my business. You should on your business card. That is amazing. So people will be like, did you go to school for it? And I'll be like the school of hard knocks, (laughs) (laughs) which is 100% valid in the parenting kids with challenging behaviors world for sure. Absolutely. Right. Well, just a little bit about us. So like we said, we are the co-founders of 501c3 nonprofit transfiguring adoption. Margie, do you want to give your background a little bit? Yeah, so I have a bachelor's in psychology. Since graduating, I have done everything from teaching to social work to educating, training, writing, kind of the whole, all kinds of things all over. So she doesn't toot her own horn either, but she's spoke at, she's been asked to speak on Capitol Hill twice. I could go on on a list. She's always like, yeah, I, I helped with social work stuff and I did psychology, <laughs> but I'm like, and you spoke on Capitol Hill twice and you've been asked on news. Anyways, I'm Darren. I am the lesser of the half. I am an art major and I also have my education introductory counseling certification. So, and Margie's taught me quite a bit and I've learned a lot working with kids over the last 10 plus years. So. Let's get into this, you guys. We have some exciting stuff here. Margie and I have a decade of personal experience with foster and adoptive kids. 100% of kids from foster care or adoption suffer from trauma. The reason we started Transfiguring Adoption and we've started looking at how play and bibliotherapy impact children is because we think that caregivers are very significant in helping a child work through past trauma. You can read some of the things on there for why caregivers are the best. But one of the best things that we, we've heard from is uh, Dr. Karen Purvis. She had this quote where she said, our children were harmed in relationship and they will come to experience healing in relationship. And that's such a huge thing because that speaks to the birth parents, foster parents, adoptive parents, grandmas, grandpas, anyone that has a relationship with a child. We've got to learn how we can best help our children in a relationship and how we can help them because the only way they're going to heal, they were harmed in a relationship. They need to be healed in a relationship. The problem that we're finding is that again, a lot of you probably may, maybe not surprised by this, that 50% of newly licensed foster parents in the U S are going to quit even this year 
because they just don't feel maybe even more because of COVID. I'm not sure when we, when we were, when we taped this and did this workshop, if you're watching this archived, we had the 2020 COVID pandemic, a lot more stress going on. 50% of parents will quit because they don't feel like they can handle the trauma caused behaviors that are being brought into their home. And this is going to obviously compound a tr- the child's trauma. It's going to add to lack of stability in their life. And overall, it's both parties, everyone that's involved. It's There's a lot of emotional damage on everyone's end that is done going through that process. So as we're looking at transfiguring adoption, the reason we look at how we can help you guys, how we can help parents as opposed to one-on-one with kids is because we looked at this percentage and we said we've got to help parents and empower them and make them feel like they can use what's around, use what they have and and be able to work through things. Cause it's hard. You guys, there, there are some days, I mean, Margie, come on, like even to last night, right? Like we're just like, you just feel like you, you just want to go to sleep and that's all you can do. You don't have any more energy to put out forth any, we, we get it. We totally get it. We're there. We're in the trenches with you guys. We understand this is hard and sometimes you just need to feel empowered and like you can do something. And sometimes all you feel like you can do is turn on the TV. And then I know that I've spoken with a lot of people like you guys that you feel like if you're watching TV that you're defeated. And all I did was watch TV. I had nothing left for them. That's all I could do. We watched, we watched Frozen for the umpteenth billionth time. And that's all that I had the energy. And you feel like people, parents will tell me that they feel like failures, that they feel like they had nothing left. They weren't going to be that parent that they just sat their kids in front of the TV all the time. Um, so we're going to take a look at some exciting stuff that Margie and I stumbled upon with our own kids. There's this fancy term called bibliotherapy. And Margie, I'm talking a lot and I'm rambling. Stop me if I need to. All right. She's like my helper with that. Bibliotherapy, you guys, does anyone, does anyone watching with us on Zoom or does anyone on Facebook, do you, have you guys ever heard of the term bibliotherapy? I've had to learn this because I'm an art major. And, and Margie's had to teach me and walk me through this a little bit. Bibliotherapy, it's a hundred year old word. In the 1960s, 1916, it was coined and it was started to be used more often. And it's simply using books instead of prescribing medication. The practice was actually used further back in history. So we're talking Aristotle. If you had gone to see Aristotle way back in ancient times, instead of going and him telling you, oh, you have issue A, so we're going to prescribe you go home and do activity C, or you do this, or you take this. Instead of doing that, you're going to go to Aristotle and he's going to say, that's an interesting issue. I suggest you read this. And so you would go, you would read whatever work that he told you to read. You would go through it. You would come back to him after you'd read it and you would both discuss the character in that book. And that would be the medication that he would use to help, help you get through issues. Ancient Greek therapy used literary works for it. Late 1800s in America, they've actually, they have advertisements like posters that have been put up around various towns advertising bibliotherapy all this to say this is not the stuff that we're going to talk about isn't a new concept that we've stumbled upon it was accidental in our lives how we stumbled upon it and how we saw we started digging into different things and we're like oh this is a thing 
like people actually prescribe this and do this and, and it's actually a therapeutic way of seeing things. So all that to say, bibliotherapy, I'm going to modernize it for you guys a little bit. When we're talking about bibliotherapy, let's take a look at the Little Mermaid. Now, if you're on Facebook watching us, have you seen the Little Mermaid? Let me see the emojis. Can you give me a yes? What's your favorite scene in the Little Mermaid? Has everyone here seen the Little Mermaid? What is your favorite song from the Little Mermaid? Does anyone have a favorite song from the Little Mermaid? The entire soundtrack, like the best <laughs> Disney soundtrack ever, especially if you were a teen girl in the early 90s. The yeah, look at the right? stuff, whatever that song is. Yeah, part, is it part of your world? Part of your this world, stuff? Yeah, Isn't this neat? Wouldn't yeah. you think my collect? Okay, anyways. Yeah, I can't <laughs> sing, otherwise I would have sung it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a Disney sing-along next. Well, let me bring this up into future. So let's pretend the example that I always use, and forgive me, you guys, I'm horrible with making up names, evidently, because I always have a foster daughter named Sue or Sally. Not very imaginative, but let's pretend like we have a foster daughter. She's in elementary school, and her name is Sue. And Sue's not been living with you long, but she's been living with you long enough for you to know that she's moved from home to home for quite for several homes, and she's very worried about her stuff coming with her, that people are going to get rid of her stuff. She's scared of losing her identity, different things. So she ends up hoarding things and holding on to things. Maybe not even food, but just stuff. She holds on to stuff. We're talking the the stuff that's not sanitary. We're talking anything that she can. So one day you go into Sue, Sue or Sally, I don't remember. You went into her room and you find her hoard of stuff. And it not only is it you know, unsanitary, it smells, it's big, it's large, it's got a life of its own, but it's ruining your furniture, it's ruining your carpet, it's ruining... Obviously, I mean, what are some emotions you guys are going through? I'm guessing frustration is up there somewhere, that you're frustrated, you're angry, you're at the end of your rope. The first thing that would come out of my mouth is a good rant. My rants are infamous in our family. They know when dad's about ready to go on a long rant. Um, so that's one way that you can handle that whole situation. You can have your front, you can yell, you can rant. Both of you can go head to head about it. Nothing's going to get done. There's no change that's going to happen except for the fact that you vented and you got every, all that built up frustration out and, and that's it. The other way that we can handle it is to know that Sue is an elementary school age girl and elementary school age girls love the little mermaid. Now, when there's nothing else going on, we're just going to kick back and have a fun family night. We're not doing this when when all of a sudden suit we find the horde, but when we're just having a fun movie night, we're going to pop in the little mermaid. We're going to watch the little mermaid. We're going to watch Melissa's favorite song, Look at this stuff, isn't this neat? We're going to watch that whole thing about Ariel talking about how her collections never complete. And she's just getting more and more stuff. Then after the movie, we're going to sit down with Sue and we're going to say at some point, hey, why do you think Ariel did that? Why why do you think she collected all that stuff? And we're going to ask some more questions about Ariel. And what we're finding that that what happens with that is that it, let me actually jump over to here. We're going to actually find that with that, we're able to talk with Sue about this issue easier because her guard's down. Because we're not... 
Ariel's on the hot seat. Ariel, the little mermaid, is in trouble. So we're having conversations about the little mermaid and not Sue. We're going to, it depersonalizes, it it normalizes the experience. Sue can now see that there is another character in the world. There is someone else. Someone thought of this to put it in the Little Mermaid. Someone has a hoarding. It's not, she's not a freak. She's not weird. Someone else is going through this for some reason. So it's going to help with that. We're going to be, eventually, after we talk, Ariel's gone through the hot seat, the judgment seat, and we talk that issue to, to however long we need to. Later on, we might find in Sue's room that she has a disgusting, unsanitary horde that makes us want to pull our hair out. Because we've already talked about the Little Mermaid, we can now say, hey, what do you think was going on with Ariel? Because we talked about that, and does this look like the same thing? And so now we have something to draw back on. We've already discussed if it was good or bad and and the ways that we can move past this issue. And we're bringing, we're showing our child Hey, let's bring this from a pretend imaginary movie. It's not about Ariel anymore. Now it's you. Now you are the Little Mermaid. So now we're having a conversation. It's still not as judgmental or confrontational because we're still talking about issues with the character. So our child is going to, again, have their guard down and be less defensive because we're not completely putting them on the judgment seat. And we're going to be able to work through those issues a little bit better. What we found with this, working with our own kids, is that this gave them identity because they were able to access the trauma that they went through because their guard was let down. They were able to talk about past trauma or trauma issues without it being about them. So they're able to talk about the issues with Ariel. And so they were able to find identity because they were exploring more of their past. It gave them a voice because... As they're looking at other characters, it's giving them new vocabulary, new feelings. If they can't come up with vocabulary, they're, they're able to say, look how Ariel smiled then. You see that? that? That's how I feel when, when that happens. So it helps them to process and articulate their words and their language, and it helps them to make sense of their life. So they're able to just look around at things. They're able to look at situations that they've never looked at before in a new light, and we're helping them see it in a new light. So they're able to make sense of their world a little bit more. And hopefully, eventually, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It'll help them move past issues by showing them different ways of doing this. I'm going to go back to a slide. I mentioned that we stumbled upon this. These are our kids here. They're, if anyone wonders, they're okay if we use their images. They are adopted children now. We, the, the, the young man that's holding, let's see if I can put the, he's right here. He was 12 years old at the time. We were getting ready to go on a vacation to Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. We're going to be seeing the whole park for two weeks to celebrate adoptions. And we wanted to get the kids interested in reading. They've been in several different homes throughout foster care, and they've just never gotten an interest in reading. So we thought, well, we'll, what do you guys want to read? We'll read whatever. Well, they wanted to watch the Harry Potter movies. Dead set. We're going to watch Harry Potter no, we're going to read the books because we're getting in. So every night at dinner time, we read one chapter. First chapter of the first book, we started reading through the Sorcerer's Stone. And this young man here in the white shirt and red tie. Who's um, now a grown up. Who's now, yeah, a grown up. <laughs> he started to get teary eyed at the table and fighting back tears, not wanting to cry, which for those of you that have, have, 
had 12-year-old boys know that there's a macho, there's a certain macho effect. So getting them teary-eyed at the table and wanting to talk about feelings is, is a big feat. So that, that piqued my interest and we started talking and he started talking to us about all sorts of past events and issues and, and trauma related things that we'd never known about or heard about before. Partly because he has almost like aphasia where he has a hard time remembering words. He definitely just has a hard time relating with how he's feeling and his emotions due to past trauma. And so it's hard for him to articulate anything. And so what the book did was he was able to see, you see how they're feeling in there? That's me. And so right away that gave him language and it helped us to move past his language barrier and we were able to then focus on some different things with him. And again, the characters were in the hot seat. So we didn't even necessarily at first have to say, why did you do this? Or why, why it didn't have to be you, you, you. It was, so how... I'm seeing this character do this. Why is this impacting? Like, why? And then he was able to say, well, I think it would hurt them because... And he might talk about the character or he might move it over to himself and say, if I was them, which I will say when doing this, that was probably a more successful conversation than what most people will have at any given time. It's all about creating the atmosphere. So we're going to take a look at one of our projects that we're working. The thing that we're talking about today is how to use play. This is looking at, that explained how to use books. The same thing can also be moved over into play therapy or playful engagement. I don't have the right letters behind my name to say that it's play therapy. So it's playful engagement. If we want to use playful engagement, instead of the book being what is driving us to talk with our kids and connect with our kids. It's now the play. It's the activities that we're doing. It's the play is going, just like the movie, the primary thing was just to sit down and have family time and connect and bond. And then the other stuff was kind of secondary. It was important, but it was secondary. The play is now the primary activity with bonding and connecting with our children. And then we're hoping we can get to some activities or some conversation that helps them work past issues. So we're going to get into some of that. Let's go through real quick the process for doing this. Step number one, we're going to wait for the right time. So when we're doing playful engagement activities that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, or if you're going through a book or a movie with your child, you're going to wait for the right time. When I gave the Little Mermaid example, at the beginning, did you guys notice what I said, how we're going to start it off as? Do you remember Margie? It's not when you're in the middle of a meltdown or a behavioral incident of some sort, when they're executive functioning, they're thinking, they're rational, everything is turned off, they can't access that, they can't think, they can't process information when they're in the heat of the moment. So you're not going to do something, some type of activity when something's going down. You're going to do this when everybody's happy and everything's calm and... So one of the the activity that we're going to show you guys is to how to help your kiddos self-regulate themselves. So if you have an activity, a game to play for self-regulation, the time it's not the time to introduce the game when your kid is running around and you're like, stop, you just got to stop. You got to, for the love of all that's good and holy, you just have to stop. Like, that's not the time to like say, you stop and we're going to play this game now because you're not connecting. The primary goal is to build connection and bond. And at that moment, you're not in a place they're not in a place where you guys want to sit down, bond, and connect and learn the activity. So you have to wait for your right time to do this. 
It's all about that right time is, is crucial. If you don't get the right time to introduce the play, then it's not going to work at all the rest of the time because no one's going to take it in. You guys aren't going to have that connection. Step two is nudging towards identification. If you notice when I was talking about the little mermaid, one thing that I said is we're going to talk about Ariel and I focused a lot on that. Now, when I said we noticed that there was a hoarding issue, I said, we're eventually going to take it and we're going to say, Hey, do you think that's kind of like Ariel? It's shown people that, that have studied bibliotherapy and different things like that have seen that usually people, even us as adults, we're not going to naturally make that connection because we don't want to talk about our own issues. We don't want to see our own issues. We don't think, we think everything's fine. So when you talk about, you know, you've, you've had that conversation when someone's telling you about a friend and they're describing an issue and you're like, Oh yeah, that's awful. And then all of a sudden you discover they're talking about me. And you're like, but you don't make that connection right away because you don't want to talk, think that you're there. So it's the same thing when we're trying to help our kids through a situation is eventually we're going to need to nudge them to that identification where we're saying, hey, I think I might see a little bit of that situation here. I might, I think, what do you think? Do you see that here? And it's just asking them questions like that. Like, do you see that? Is that something do you think that is, is here? Do you, does your situation look like this right now? And we're, we're simply just kind of nudging it. We're not saying this is it. You're here. You're, we're not, we're not getting judgmental. We're not pointing fingers. We're asking questions and kind of pushing them. Hopefully we're creating an atmosphere where they can make the connection. Step three, helping to create emotional involvement. This is when we're going one step further. And hopefully they've started to connect the dots. Hopefully our, our child has started to connect the dots with an activity and they're kind of going, but even if they're not, we're kind of helping them a little bit more. Yeah, I, I see that here. I, I see, I see you having that, that we're, we're, we have, or you're doing really good with this. I see how you're, we're making that direct connection there with the emotional involvement. It's solidifying it. It might not be right. Step two, step one, two, and three might not even happen in the same moment or the same day, but it might happen over a series of days, weeks, series of conversations, or it might happen all together. Who knows? But step three is definitely where we're starting to go. Yes, this is, there's a direct connection here with you guys with what we were talking about and what I'm seeing. And then step four is just allowing for an atmosphere of con- continued conversing. Like I said, what we're doing here that what I was explaining with my son, that is probably the most like immediate result I've ever seen when using this stuff. Usually it's introduce the activity, introduce the media, and then I'm creating an atmosphere where this can happen. And so we're talking days, weeks, over many conversations that things are happening as my child's able to think things through. So It's not an immediate thing. Usually you're allowing for continued conversation. You're bringing up questions constantly like, Oh yeah, it's kind of like Ariel, right? Like, is that what it was like? Or we're just bringing up wondering questions where we can start talking about that again and continue to talk about things and move through things. We have two major projects that we're working with, with transfiguring adoption. One is our book called magical creatures around your home. This is going to be what we're going to get into. It's our playful engagement guide. The other one is our media reviews that we do. And that's the part of our services where we look at the movies, video games, and books. 
I want to get into some fun play activities. So let's talk about magical creatures around your home. This is a playful engagement guidebook that helps parents to, it's fully immersive. So it's going to introduce you to magical creatures that you pretend along with your child. You read along with your child this book. You discover these creatures. And then we have a parent activity guide where it has different activities so that you can learn the activities and you can play different things with your child, just the way with the steps that we've been talking about and the concepts and the ideas that we've been talking about. Let's go ahead. I will come back to the video, I think, if we have time. Real quick, I wanted to take through here. Margie, I'm going to have you explain, if you can, for me, because I'm going to put together the activity while we're doing it, and I'm going to take it off this. But I'm going to read real quick. This is one of our creatures that I want to introduce you guys to. This is a little bird that's inside the book called a fleet bird. Just a little bit so that we give you some background on it so that we can talk about the activity together. What would you, what you would do in this book is we're asking you to connect with your child. So we're going through step one. We're going to introduce an activity. We're going to introduce the playing field with your child. So in here, we're reading that the magical properties that this little bird has that we're going to pretend with our child is the fleet birds of the shining star are unconsciously create magical sun dust, which is the main component for keeping magic in existence around the world. Again, without this dust, all magical creatures will eventually disappear from the earth. As rays of sunlight sparkle off fleet birds, it falls to the earth as magic sun dust. Okay. And then I'm going to go over, skip over to here. We are going to talk about down here, since fleet feed on sunbeams, the birds actually fly around eating sunlight. Since they feed on sunbeams, their flocks are constantly in flight to keep up with the daylight. Fleet may on occasion pause from their journey to stay one night away from the sunshine to rest or lay eggs. However, after 24 hours without feeding on sun's rays, a fleet bird will become too weak to survive. And then we go into that there can be casualties and it goes into the explanation of actually thunderstorms and different things like that. But what I want you guys to hear is the pretend that we're pulling out of this magical creature with the child is that there are these magical birds that they eat sunlight, and when sunlight sparkles off of them, it makes this magical dust that makes other little magical creatures exist, and and, and it makes everything healthy. So that's how I would introduce it with my child. We would read it, we would talk about it, and just have some fun learning about this fun little pretend creature. And then after that, we have an activity book that has different activities so we can take the play even further. And Margie, you want to help me out here with this one? We have the activity for the fleet bird is called How Are You Flying? All right. So children from traumatic backgrounds often have difficulty with self-regulation and knowing kind of where they're at, how they're functioning. So as the adults, it's kind of, imperative that we come alongside them and teach them, help them understand how they're functioning. If they're, you know, on, um, obviously if they're playing basketball, you know, you should be excited. You should, you know, your energy level and your activity should be high, but then there are times when, you know, you're getting ready for bed or you're in the classroom, different activities require different levels of kind of energy. Yeah. So what we do is we have that you can hear that the fleet birds are birds that they constantly are in flight. Sometimes they have to rest, but they're constantly in flight. So they have to know 
you, as a fleeper, they have to know what their energy level is. So we have this activity called, how are you flying? And the purpose of it is for your child to try to figure out where their energy level needs to be at and where they think it's at. So it's really easy. You actually just take a piece of cardboard. I have a pipe cleaner. I don't have a bead with me. I need, you need a bead for this. And then you need just a Sharpie marker. And what you're going to do is you're simply just going to make lines on here. I have a picture of it here later. Our volunteer did an amazing job. You make lines on here and you might write high, just right, and low. And you can have colors. You can decorate it. I'm going to have holes already poked in for the pipe cleaner. I'm going to put the pipe cleaner in the hole. I'm already going to have the bead on here, too. I wish I would have had the bead. I couldn't find it in our box of supplies. And so there's going to be a bead on here. And then the bead simply moves up and down. I'm going to go into the back here, and I'm just going to give this a twist in the back, if you guys can see that. And voila, that was easy. Your kid, your child can do it with you. They can decorate it and do different things. So it's all this fun little thing that you can do together. And then let me show you what our volunteer did here, because she is one of these crafty, fun people. And that is what she came up with. And she even added some extra levels, very high, high, low, and very low. And you can see that she has the bead there in the middle. And she actually added something. What is that, cake board? Yeah, she is cake board because she has a little guy that, um, you know, we notice this with our kids. A lot of times they don't, they don't know how they're feeling and they don't know the faces that they're making. And we had, you know, one of our little guys at one point, the behavioral therapist was, was teaching him, you know, how to make surprised face, scared face, angry face. And so she has it where he can actually turn it over and he can see what, how he looks. So when he's, he's acting high. Part. Now the magic part about flying, how are you flying is after you've made this and after you can see her kids got to use glitter, they got to use all sorts of colors. So they actually like this was an activity. It's not a difficult activity. It's stuff you might have lying around the house but they got to have fun doing it together. And it was, except for, I would have stayed away from the glitter, but uh, <laughs> glitter is like a casualty waiting to happen, I think. But like stickers or something like that, like you can have so much fun just, and it's simple, it's easy. And they she's actually this. adapted it for one of her teens to do more like moods and kind of being able to, you know, t discuss like, am, am I ready to talk right now? Like, and they have like different levels where, you know, I, I don't, I'm not okay, but I don't want to talk right now or different things that she's able to address without even talking. They, she just has her move her bead. So the fun part about this is, is the activity then after that is after you have the different levels on here and we have our bead, usually at dinner time or sometime when the family's all together, dinner time is usually an activity. You don't want too much energy at the dinner table, but you don't want to be falling asleep either. So you need it just right in the middle. So we have kiddos that some kiddos were just like, like barely awake. And they just, so you would ask them like, you know, how, how are you, how do you think you're doing? You know, they'd say, I think I'm just right. I think I'm in the middle. And it, it's kind of a guessing game. So they get to put the bead where they think they are. And then you say, well, actually, this is what I'm seeing. You're acting like this. And you kind of just have fun acting out like how they're acting and then you kind of show them, no, your bead's actually down here low, but we should be up here. Like, and asking them, where do you think you should be right now? Um, if they're playing, getting ready to go play basketball, that's a good time. Cause a lot of kids, 
just automatically think that high is bad. Like that's, that's the bad level. And no, like when we're playing basketball, we need to have a lot of energy and we need to be on the go. So it's a good time right before they go play to ask them, okay, where does your energy level need to be? And they can show, I need to be just right. Well, why do you think that? And what, like having a conversation with them, moving the beat up and down, letting them like see if they can figure out where they're at. And we would actually make it into like a fun guessing game, like guess where you're at right now. And it isn't to catch them when they're wrong either. Sometimes you catch them when like, if they're getting ready to play basketball and they're just like, (gasps) you're like, Hey, I think you're in the right spot. You're ready to play basketball. And you show them that they're, and what it does you guys is it's just a fun, it's not a game game, but it's a fun, playful way to just try to figure out instead of saying you ha- you are off the wall kid you got to settle down like it's a fun way to be like i don't know if you're in the right place and just trying to get them to figure out where their moods at cuz most of the times we'll find out our kids think their beads in the right spot and we're like right but you you're doing this and this isn't a kid that's that's ready to go to bed like this is a kid that has higher energy level we need to get down here how do we get down there and helping them, giving them suggestions on then how do we calm down? Because they might not know, how do I, okay, the bead's up there, well, how do I get it down? And it's just a fun way rather than, like I said, confronting them, yelling, or just doing whatever, trying to get them to settle down. That's one of our fun games. That's one of the, I think, one of the fun activities that, like, go along with the fleet bird. We also have another one that I won't have time to show you guys today. It's one where they actually make a glow-in-the-dark. They make a, help me out here, Margie, it's a... Like, it has, like, oil and water in it. What do they call it? Well, you can do calm-down jars, but this one is go. more of, like, a, a kind of a mix between a calm-down like jar, a but then it also is more of a nightlight type of feature. Because the Fleet Bird are also have the sun, had deal with the sunlight and, and lighting up different things. And so you end up adding glow-in-the-dark materials in there, like stickers and feathers, and you make this little cool jar that the kids not only get to have this fun activity where they've gone along with learning with you and connecting and bonding, and you've got to make this fun, cool jar, but it's a calm down jar so they can use it to look at and calm down. Or we found for our kids, the best thing it is, is it's a responsibility builder. They have to remember to put it in the sunlight at night so that they, they actually, it puts off enough light that like, say they have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. They can like kids actually use it to find their way around like to the bathroom at night instead of turning on lights. But they have to remember to put it in the sunlight. Otherwise, it's not going to work that night. Our volunteer that made the how are you flying charts, her kids now use it all the time. And she's like, it's awesome because they have to, like they actually have something they're responsible for. So that is all we're going to have time to take a look at, I think. Are we hitting there, Melissa? Yeah, and I just wanted to say for those of you who have taken the course with me we talk a whole day or a whole lesson on maybe two lessons actually on mood and regulation. And we talk through zones of regulation. So this activity would be a great adaptation to apply zones to regulation for through the, you know, using the zones on the cardboard. Dr. Purvis used to use, how does your engine run? Um, but then on the flip side, if you are familiar with zones of regulation, adding in the story about the fleet birds and how are you flying kind of adds a more playful ele- element than like, which zone are you in? So there's right. ways to kind of take this both. So guys, tell us 
where, you know, what else you offer families? Where can people find you? Because I know that that will answer one question that Rebecca had and she's watching on Facebook, which is how do you pick the specific books or movies to address what you're addressing? And I know you have uh, something on your website that could probably help. Yeah. That. I don't have the website. If you go to transfiguringadoption.com, the, the subscription services under forward slash subscribe or just go to transfiguringadoption.com. We have our reviewers that look at uh, all, all the, the media that we look at. They, they pull out something new each month. They, they try to take, when movies were coming out, they try to take a look at what movies that are coming out that they think foster and adoptive parents will be most interested in. It might just be that it's the new Disney movie and everyone's going to go see it. So people need to know what the trauma triggers are going to be in it and different things like that. We do, some of our reviewers are former foster youth, adult adoptees, and we also have some people that are, that are therapists that are, that this is just kind of a hobby passion project for them. So that's, that's kind of how we do that. The book is available at, if you're interested in the book, it's at magicalcreatures.com. That's not a typo. There is no last E. It's magicalcreatureswithoutthelasty.com. The other one was taken. So we had to take magicalcreatureswithoutthelasty.com. I have a copy of the book. It's fantastic. Again, the pair it with the guide and it just kind of, you know, you don't have to read the whole book straight through, but using it, you know, one chapter a night, one creature, you know, if you're homeschooling, you can, there's a lot you can pull out around this. You could probably make it an entire health curriculum. So, and then, you know, if you do have questions about, Hey, we're struggling with this thing. Do you know of a book? You know, I'm sure feel free to email Darren or Margie they would probably be Absolutely. able to off the top of their head think, Oh, we've done that before. So, yeah. and even without subscribing, you can access our tables and they are searchable too. Yeah. So if you go into like kids books, you could put in something like friendship or um, food issues. They're all searchable and you can search by age. You can search by topic. You can search if you know a certain author and you want to find books by that author. We hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Links to all of the resources mentioned are linked in today's show notes, as well as a link for joining our new coaching program, Reclaim Compassion, where you can get the full video presentation, including slides of this presentation. For more information, go to the show notes of today's episode at theadoptionconnection.com slash 208. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.